welcome. You've got mail. Everyone, welcome to another edition of TechStream. My name is Seth Everett. He is the CEO of the Palmer Group, Shelley Palmer. And last week we talked about Instagram and an embarrassing interview that the people from Instagram did on the Today Show. Well, let's just say multiply that by about 15, and then you have today's episode of TechStream. A whistleblower from Facebook went on 60 Minutes on Sunday, October 3rd, 2021, and basically is going to be testifying in Congress this week how Facebook and subsequent partners, Instagram, intentionally show users things to make them angry, know that their platforms are harmful, and don't do anything about it. It is a mind-numbing interview, and here's just a portion. The thing I saw at Facebook over and over again was there were conflicts of interest between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. And Facebook over and over again chose to optimize for its own interests, like making more money. I've seen a bunch of social networks and it was substantially worse at Facebook than anything I'd seen before. Imagine you know what's going on inside of Facebook and you know no one on the outside knows. I knew what my future looked like if I continued to stay inside of Facebook, which is person after person after person has tackled this inside of Facebook and ground themselves to the ground. At some point in 2021, I realized, okay, I'm gonna have to do this in a systemic way and I have to get out enough that no one can question that this is real. That audio, courtesy of CBS in 60 Minutes. Shelly, she revealed her identity. She could have hit it. Uh, I would love to know what kind of security detail she has because she <laughs> told them out. Uh, what What was your reaction to all this? A uh, big shrug, to be fair. Um, I don't know that you need a whistleblower to tell you that Facebook is successful. And if you understand anything about social media, if you understand anything about data and the way that data works, um, this should surprise no one. In order for what she said not to be true, Facebook advertising would have to not work and mm -hmm. Facebook would not be in business. So the fact that they are a trillion dollar company tells you everything you need to know about the efficacy of the tool set they use. And for those of you who want me to speak in pure English, it goes like this. Facebook works, Instagram works, and all social media platforms, TikTok, it doesn't matter the social media platform. By looking at the metadata, metadata is data that describes other data. So if you have a picture of a bird, the metadata tags might say something like bird. And then you'd know there's a picture of a bird. Right. Looking at the metadata, looking at your behaviors. What is your behavior? Seth likes to click on this. Seth likes to click on that. The algorithm then basically scores, and I'm super simplifying this, your propensity to click on something. It's 72% confident you are 44% likely to click on this. It's 93% confident you're 75% likely to click on this. It's 80% confident you're 99% likely to click on this. You train the algorithm. You personally train the algorithm to become an expert in you. 
it actually knows you better than you know you because you react emotionally to things you don't think that much about unconsciously, but it scores every behavior you exhibit. And so over time, and not a lot of time, the algorithm learns what kind of content to surface to keep you engaged. And that is the magic of Facebook, to keep you engaged, because they know that the longer you are on the platform, wait for it, the more likely you are to click on something they make money from. Now, if you take out your smartphone right now and you open up the Facebook app and you start scrolling as just as wildly as you can and then stop at random anywhere you want. It knows where you're stopping. You don't Not have to click on it. Correct. You don't even have to click on it. Correct. And in most importantly to that, Seth, a billion people could do that at the same time, all see different things that are customized to them. And Facebook would understand, oh, you were just mindlessly scrolling and stopped. You were not actually looking at this because the algorithm is tuned that well. Facebook makes a living keeping you engaged. And the most important part of all of this is that it does not matter to Facebook what you're looking at, only that you are looking. Because while you are there, you are likely to click on something they make money from. And this is what the quote new news is. They know it's harmful. Really? How could it not be harmful? Everybody knows it's harmful. But there's a but there's a bigger issue here. I, I, I think the bigger issue is it's important for people to know just how they get it, because I can say as someone who has I've never clicked on an ad from Facebook, but I have clicked on links. What I don't like about this is it's my only avenue to reach people. Shelly, I was trying to book somebody for one of my other podcasts this week, and I don't have their phone number. I don't have their email. I only have them through Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I hate being beholden to that. So, look, Facebook does a lot of good. My family uses Messenger. We have a, a group we call Core. It's a private group. It's just our immediate family. Then there's a slightly larger messaging group that has some extended family members and friends. And all the things that you would ordinarily think you would post on regular Facebook, we post to this private group. We could do it on any other tool set. It, I mean, there are, we just all happen to be on Facebook. To your point, everybody happens to have a Facebook account. Uh, and a couple of family members who did not have Facebook accounts because of their age acquiesced and got a Facebook account so they could be part of this messenger group. But most people don't go to those lengths to keep their privacy. Most people just willy-nilly post. And yes, um, there are somewhere around 3 billion people on Facebook, and there are roughly 4 billion people on the internet. So somewhere between 60 and 75%, depending on the day and depending on who you ask and depending on the stats that, that someone will tell you. But you know, they're all estimates. Somewhere between 60 and 75% of all human beings online have a Facebook account. And, you know, a billion of them are active any given month. And that's an awful lot of people. Facebook makes their living putting the right content in front of the right people at the, in the, when they are in the right place at the right time. That's what it does. And one of the things that the whistleblower said in the 60 Minutes interview I have written about extensively, there's an article at ShellyPalmer.com. It's called How to Win a Twitter War. And that's just a catch-all yeah, We talked phrase. about it on the podcast. 
yeah for all social media you take the most subtle subject you can imagine seth and you make it binary us against them so you take something as as personal and important as abortion and you decide instead of having a Socratic debate, you're going to make it binary. And so one side says abortion is murder and the other side wants to counteract that or, or put their own point of view out and say, well, look, while life may begin at conception, a zygote doesn't reach viability. Okay, half the people don't know what a zygote is. Viability is a big word. They're explaining, like, that's not, and that, that post, that tweet, that, that goes nowhere. The only way that you can get an audience that will allow you to amass enough strength to counteract the abortion is murder post is up yours, no, it's not, and you'd use more forceful language. So now you've got the two extreme sides, the far left and the far right of any subject, doesn't matter what the subject is, the middle is gone. There's no middle, the middle is gone. And so what happens, though, with mathematically is crazy because the people who agree with the negative approach will all have their biases confirmed and they'll all be blanketed. And the comfort of inf the information is that they're all happy where they are. The people who are on the binary other side of that will come and look to the way you look at a train wreck. If it bleeds, it leads, you know, the the. the the hate, the anger that it inspires is a draw. It's a magnet. The anger is a magnet. So now you get all the people on the opposite side. There's nobody left, Seth. That's everybody. Right. So in order to win the war, the, the, the social media war, the Twitter war, the Facebook war, you take something subtle. You make it super binary. You take the negative side. You scream it to the rafters. You get everyone who agrees with you, and you get everyone who doesn't agree with you. What dies, what goes away, what doesn't exist is the sober middle someone who is having a thoughtful conversation with you because no one no one is paying attention to that it's not the way the social media tools work and facebook is making a living off of this and people you know, this is what the whistleblowers say saying hey you know anger works it's like yeah it's a powerful emotion i'm mad at you okay so we know that facebook shows things that will make you angry we've, we've addressed that yep is facebook worse than other social media companies Facebook has a whistleblower right now. Twitter doesn't. TikTok doesn't. Is Facebook worse than other companies? No, um, definitely not. All social media is in the same boat. Uh, I did an experiment for a client the other day in Arabic. I use Google Translate to write the Arabic sentence, how to kill a Jew. And I typed it into Twitter. And you would not believe the graphic images that come back. Wow. So, so no, they're all... They're all equally counts are for, by the way. These are they are these are all culpable. TikTok may be the best algorithm of its kind in the world because it's a single feed that you constantly teach. So TikTok, I don't know if it's if you want to say that being better at that job makes them worse than Facebook, but all social media that is successful works the same way. It it takes uh the things you teach it and it right. gives you. It, you teach it how to make itself more addictive to you. It, you literally teach it how to addict you. I saw this and I was dying for your reaction. I almost led the podcast with this. Political parties in Europe ran negative ads on Facebook because it was the only way to reach people. It's my point. You want to win a Twitter war. You want to win a social media war. You no, no, take no. the negative. Political and parties are I using understand. the platform. I that's understand. different than the schmuck in Iowa. 
no, no, no. If you're in Deer's Ears, America, it no, that it's all the same. Everything's relative here. And by the way, that's so important because what she said in the 60 Minutes piece, which rings true, is that political parties were taking negative positions in order to get people's attention, in order to get elected, they actually had to change policy, that the negativity caused them to do a policy change and pander to a group they would ordinarily not pander to or cater to a group they ordinarily would not cater to. This, this should surprise no one. Every human being experiences this. Seth, you do too. If you want to get an audience, you want to know the, the it's sad but true, the most popular social media posts I've ever had in my career have all been when I woke up one morning and got really mad at something I saw. I mean, really angry. And I posted about it. Those are insanely popular. It's a terrible, terrible statement about who we are. It's an awful reflection of what we do. And I mean, I, you see an injustice, what I believe is an injustice, and it makes me angry. And I post about it, whether it's a tweet or a Facebook post. Those have been by far and away the most successful. And what I mean by successful, not successful in my in, in, to the universe, for the universe, for mankind, for me, for the body of knowledge. No, successful meaning the most number of human beings on the earth engaged with it. I came after Google during their Super Bowl ad. I just was so incensed by the Super Bowl ad. And I've gone after Facebook before with a couple of pretty angry, angry tweets, a couple of angry posts, even on Facebook. They do great, which is horrifying. So Facebook told us they were going to be dividing and they were going to uh, uh, pronounce hate and misinformation. They've done this a lot with the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. According to the whistleblower, they only do that for like three to 5% of what they have on the platform. And a lot of it sneaks by. We're talking like 96% of it sneaks by that. They're doing that so that you see it. So you think they're doing good. So that's, that's sanctionable, isn't it? Well, look, and I know I think, we're going to get to sanctions here because that's yeah. the only way this is going. So here's the thing. This is really hard to do. And while Facebook could do a much better job if they wanted to, and I think that's really what we're saying if they wanted to, and you cannot in any way minimize how difficult this is. Facebook doesn't look at every image. They don't read the content for context and the English language, even if you did read it for context, is incredibly difficult to decipher. If you and I do a movie review and you say Star Wars was bad, do you mean Star Wars was bad as in terrible, awful, don't go see it? Or do you mean Star Wars was bad, meaning it was great? Now, there is absolutely no way for a sentence written in English, naked by itself, Star Wars is bad, period. That sentence Mm. by itself is non-decipherable in any way because you don't have context. If it's in the context of somebody spending five paragraphs saying, this was awful, I can't believe the the Ray's character, I can't believe this is awful, 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 you know, and then at the end, it's like, objectively, Star Wars is bad, or I hate Star Wars, this has been terrible, Uh, My bottom line, colon, Star Wars is bad, period. All right, look, maybe you would get that it's negative if you understood the negativity, general sentiment, the entire five-paragraph essay. But by itself, as a single sentence, it doesn't mean anything. And then, Seth, what happens in the conflation problems? For example, 
I'm going to make up a sentence now that's going to sound, well, it depends how good you are in the news and how good your memory is. Okay. Uh, when Hillary Clinton's emails and the Democratic National Committee's emails were hacked and her emails were deleted, uh, you know, that should have been, that was a problem with uh, a violation of national security protocols. Now, as it turns out, Hillary Clinton's emails weren't hacked. She deleted some emails and the Democratic National Committee's e uh, email server was hacked. But when you put both of those things in a sentence, no one's really going to remember what was, and you probably didn't remember who was hacked and who was deleted because those stories were interchanged all day long, right? That's, uh, that, this is profiled in the Hillary documentary. So now the question becomes, you are an algorithm and you are looking at that sentence in the context of what? Now, there's truly a factual error in that sentence, right? It's not that Hillary Clinton's email server was hacked. Uh, whenever, uh, because it was a private server, people would say it could be hacked. Her emails were deleted. There were no deleted emails at the DNC. That sentence is objectively wrong. It's factually incorrect. How wrong is it? And does it matter? And who makes that choice? And what's the context? So you're asking an algorithm, something that has no context and no ability to have context, to understand very, very complex human thought and then surface it so a human can understand it. So that's the way this works. The reason they hired thousands and thousands and thousands of contractors at Facebook was they would use an algorithm to, to flag something that looked wrong or seemed to be not exactly what the algorithm was expecting and or was over engaged with or might have been bot traffic or maybe was retweeted too many times and like what and then have a human being just have a quick cursory look at it but again star wars is bad you you need to do a lot of reading around that to understand what that sentence means and then the question is whose worldview when when is something if it's a pro trump article uh, do you leave it or pro pro you know big lie article? Do you leave it alone? Do, do you do you flag it? But if it's if it's a uh, anti big lie anti Trump article, you you leave it in because it's not factually important. Like who would get to make that? That's a terrible thing to put on a third party contractor. Right. Like okay, you're supposed to like is it one mistake or three mistakes? Is it that the, every paragraph has an equally bad error in it, or does this one paragraph out of five that doesn't really change the essay's thesis and it's not a support, it's not supporting the topic sentence nor the thesis that's delivered in the, in, in the first paragraph. What level do you think Facebook should go to? Like anyone, and by the way, what level do you think Facebook can go to, to correct those errors? So it's gotta be surfaced to a human being who's gotta make a judgment call inside of a set of protocols, this is a worldview being imposed. So what's worse, Seth? No worldview being imposed or somebody's worldview being imposed who you don't agree with? Right. What is the societal norm? You know, there's that famous Supreme Court quote, I'll know pornography. I don't know what pornography is, but I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> it's like, you can't, a girl you can't go to class. No, but a, a, a young woman can't go to school wearing something that the teacher deems inappropriate. But it, in the history class, they're going to show an accurate portrayal of John F. Kennedy's head being blown off. Which one's more obscene? Like what? whose worldview is the one that counts there? So, OK, the, the woman is dressed inappropriately. Says who? She liked it. Her mom let her out of the house. 
she's a young woman who decided this is the fashion. This is the way she wants to express herself today. And in fact, you're going to sit her down and you're going to you're going to show her someone being murdered with a with a rifle and having their, half their brains blown out. You don't think that's child abuse. OK, that's history lesson. I'm not here to make the case one way or the other. I'm simply saying we make choices every day. And now you're asking someone else. And I don't those are choices other people make. And they're not right or wrong. They're the choices other people make. Now you're asking Facebook to make choices that I'm not sure I want them to make, even if they were willing to make them. Because it won't apply, it won't apply, Seth, to one thing. It'll apply across the board. You can't have it one way or the other. It's like, well, you leave the good stuff alone. It's like, what's good stuff? Well, this is obviously bad. Uh, okay. This is these are impossible choices. So I'm not defending Facebook. I think they should just shut it all down personally. I mean, I don't think it does better. I think it does more harm than good. I think all social media does more harm than good at this point. I'm convinced at the, of it. At this point, right. And we and we've digested a lot of this on the show. I mean, our second episode was when did it become this toxic? And, yes, and it's toxic. We said it was always toxic, just now people know how to use it. That's right. Um, and that brings us to last week's episode with something that the whistleblower said on the 60 Minutes piece about Instagram making kids miserable. Yeah. And the argument though and i'm asking this i'm asking for advice because i think this advice would go a lot farther for listeners uh, of this podcast i have a 13 year old daughter i don't know that she should be on instagram and she hasn't done anything and i monitor what she does and i said that last week on the episode and i was comfortable after you know hearing the episode you know after we recorded it i felt comfortable in what i had said but I just told you I'm conflicted about deleting Facebook. I'd love to delete my Facebook. My problem is, is I'd lose so many contacts. I can't even keep track, but Instagram is different. And I don't want my daughter to be the only kid without Instagram. But I, if, if I knowingly, if I know something is bad for them, why am I continually giving it to them? I don't let them eat donuts every day. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I, but, but they can have donuts once in a while. Like, how do I govern this? Well, and when I say me, it's the collective we, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's everybody. Yeah. How as parents, because I would imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast are parents. Yeah. How do I govern this Instagram nonsense? Yeah, well, my advice to everyone is all things in moderation. And in my, my humble advice is moderate the moderation. This is a toxic environment. It is so dangerous. It is so dangerous, especially, and the whistleblower made this clear, and there's a lot of data to back it up, the percentage of young girls who considered suicide or who had suicidal thoughts enhanced by the state of mind they were in due to their interaction with these tool sets. And so you've got, these are not, small grown-ups. These are minds that are forming. If you think back to your own experience, the, the experiences that shaped you, the things that you almost, you might not even remember the person's name. You might just remember an image or a face, but you remember how you felt and you remember what you thought and, you, and your actions for life have been altered by things that have happened to you. In some cases, it might be as in early childhood, it might be in grade school, it might be in junior high school or high school. You don't really, there aren't as many adult lessons 
that will shock your brain into recency and availability. They become wisdom. They become experience. You learn from them. Oh, I lost some money. I did a bad deal. I did. But you have a way to actually score those in your mind and keep them in a relatively safe place where they can inform your behaviors as opposed to control them. But the things that happened to you as a child, when you were forming your worldview, those things get written hard. They get hardwired early. As a parent, unfortunately, we are living in a very dangerous world, a world that will not be revealed to be as dangerous as it is until history passes judgment on it. But I don't think you need to be any kind of rocket scientist to understand that face bragging is real, that body shaming is real, that bullying is real, and these tools are amplifiers. So they get to amplify in ways that in-person things can't. And the, what you need to understand is if you get bullied in the schoolyard, literally in the schoolyard, metaphorically, Seth, you're a blank. It goes into the air. The sound vibrates the tympanic membranes of everyone in earshot. They hear it and it's gone forever. It goes from reality into memory instantly. And now people must remember it and tell it as hearsay. I'm an eyewitness. I saw Shelly call Seth a blank, but nobody has a record of it. Now, that's not true. Now I can bully you and it's there forever until someone takes it down and it never goes away. And it's always there to remind you. And if it gets bigger and other people, it, if it's a real meme, as Richard Dawkins would call a meme, meaning an artificial life form, it, it looks exactly like a regular gene and the fact that it constantly, it, it will replicate, it will mutate and, and it will continue to do so. And it's got a lifespan. So Wow. When something negative about you becomes viral, oh my goodness. So you want to protect your children against this at all times. And the way to do that is to moderate, unfortunately, way more than you want to. So you as a parent have to decide how much danger are you willing to allow your child to be in on a regular basis? Um, when my kids were little, my, my, my two youngest are, are now in their 30s, but when they were in uh, grade school, on Friday nights, there was their AOL chat for an hour with the class. And you know, my wife and I were sitting on, and every other parent was sitting on top of that hour-long chat while the kids all got understood what a chat client was and understood how to be on, on AIM. I think it was actual real AOL at the time. But ultimately, that training taught them what was and wasn't acceptable. And I don't think today you can do that i don't think you can sit on your kid at every moment but i think it's time for parents to take a much more active role and and if you're not already doing it you, you yeah. i mean you really you can't keep the kids off and i last week i said and i'll say it again this week in case you weren't listening to last week's episode shame on you these tools are not optional for your children they have to learn to use them extremely well they are born into this you are a, a, a tourist you're an interloper. You're learning about it as a grown-up. They are born with these tools. The expectation is they will evolve. These tools will evolve and these children will evolve. And they will need to be, to be competitive, they will need to be extraordinarily good human machine partners with algorithmic tools and with all AI. This is the beginning of that training. Treat it that way. Treat it like you are training your children to learn how to use the uh, amplification tech technology uh, so that their thoughts can be amplified and that they can make their views known. Understand that it's time to teach them to, to, 
to live, to architect the world that you'd like them to live in. That's your job as a parent. That's always been your job. That's the job of every school teacher. And just saying, well, you know, it's a problem. Yeah. Facebook can't solve this by themselves. Parents have to solve this with the children. And it's going to have to be a giant partnership. And by the way, most people don't have time for this. You're at work, the kid's at school, the kid's got a smartphone. What are you going to do? It's like, what are you going to do? And how are you going to handle it? And these are, these are the problems of our day, like smoking, like drugs. It's just as bad, like big food, like processed carbohydrates. Yep. I'm not playing whataboutism. These are all things like my, my kid eats a lot of stuff and is, is 50 pounds overweight by the numbers. Okay, what will you do about it, parent? Uh, you know, my kid drinks. Okay, my kid does drugs. My kid does too much social media. In my book, it's those are just as bad. Those are parental problems that all need to be addressed with equal, with absolute equal attention. And the answer, by the way, is not to not let your kids have their smartphones. Correct. Uh, my school district, uh, there was a shelter in place, uh, something that turned out to be nothing, but they didn't know that at the time. And what I got, which was the greatest thing in the world, was the text message that everything was all clear. Yep. My kid knows don't get in trouble. Don't get the phone get, get taken away, but it's there. Use it if you need me. And yeah. if I get a text from her, I stop everything, you know, and I love I love that that exists because I wish that existed when I went to school. Yep, absolutely. Look, right after 9-11, there was a policy at my youngest two sons school that they could not have cell phones. And I bought them cell phones for exactly that reason, mm -hmm. by the way. Cause I couldn't, I had a, you know, we had to walk from 30th to 90th street and get them. And, and that day, and, and we Uphill had thankfully, the snow. Both no, but, I well, know, I mean, that I was, know. it was a very scary day uh, that day. And so um, I wanted them to have smartphones. I didn't know what was coming next. Oh, you were talking on nine. I thought you were on 9 after. Oh. No, 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 no. On nine 11, we had to walk up, get them. And, and they were sheltered at a friend's house who lived near their school. We walked up town, we got them, we brought them back. And the next day, uh, two days later, I, I bought them smartphones and, and sent them to school with smartphones. And the dean called me and said, the kids can't have smartphones. I said, really? No. Here's yeah. a story. I'll tell you what went on the other day. I don't know what's going to go on in your world. I don't know what's going to go on in our world. I don't know the state of the universe, but I do know that I can get a text message from both of these young, young boys and they will tell me where they are and I can do something about it. Whereas yesterday or two days ago, I couldn't do anything about it. That ain't going to happen again. That ain't going to happen again. And you know what? They backed down, which was, you know, I look, the magic of, of instant communication. I've always said that, you know, from the BlackBerry on, BlackBerry's made us faster communicators. Email made us faster communicators, not necessarily better communicators. But when it comes to things like real-time information about the status of a family member, there's nothing more valuable than an SMS message because it pretty much will get anywhere in the world almost instantaneously. Even social media doesn't cover that, Seth. So yeah, smartphones, absolutely have them, are a requirement. Have them, just govern them. That, that's but what it is. Got to govern them. Got to govern them. Okay, before we wrap this up, uh, we have a couple of announcements to make, not involving the future of the podcast. We're still going to be doing it, but Shelly has one and I have one. Shelly, you go first. Oh, well, today, Syracuse University is going to announce that uh, uh, I have joined the ranks of uh, their professors. I'm going to be the 
or I should say I am because I'm already teaching, Professor of Advanced Media in Residence at the Newhouse School for Public Communication. So I'm going to work on the, thank you, I'm going to work on the curriculum up there and, and revise with uh, the help of uh, uh, Dean and his incredible staff of, of professors. The, the teachers up there are brilliant, the students are amazing, and uh, we're trying to figure out what the future of advanced media education looks like. So I'm excited to teach up there and I'm excited to work on the curriculum and we've got a whole bunch of interesting programs that we're going to work on. So I'm very, very, very excited to uh, to be doing that. And yeah, that's my that's my announcement. I usually uh, as, as a new house alum and someone who works up there as well. Uh, I think this is the epitome of worlds colliding. So you are killing independent Seth. Oh, uh, you know, I just look, I am. It's the hottest show on Netflix. I hope people got the Seinfeld reference. Yeah, I love I love the idea of of working up at Newhouse. I, most of my friends, when they start to teach, it's the um, <laughs> it portends their, their retirement. I am nowhere near close no, no, even no. thinking and, about but, it. But that's the thing about Newhouse. <laughs> Newhouse uses teachers that are always in the business. They, yeah. There are people who are constantly still working. And yeah. that's the best thing because you learn from people who are not out of the business. They're in the business. And the, that that's my favorite thing. I was up there last week. It's a fantastic place. And I always call it my Disneyland because I get motivated just by walking on that campus. There's something about that place that pushes me to be a better professional. And it still exists. This is my 25th uh, anniversary uh, of, of uh, graduating from there. And uh, the place still has its magic. So it's wonderful to hear that as well. Also for TechStream listeners, I want to announce that Thursday nights, there is a new way to watch Thursday night football. Uh, I have signed a deal with Twitch and I am going to be simulcasting very much like the Eli and Peyton thing without the, the Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. Uh, Thursday night football starting this Thursday. If you're listening to this podcast this week, October 7th, when the Seattle Seahawks played the Los Angeles Rams, watch the game on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Seth Everett. And uh, that'll be all over my social media as well. That's fantastic. I'm excited about that. I mean, I do like Eli and Peyton on Monday night. So if you like Eli and Peyton on Monday night, you're going to love Seth Everett on Thursdays. That's the way I think about it. That's, That's TechStream. Again, this is a, a, a very toxic time right now. Uh, Facebook's under the gun. All of social media is being looked at. It's a great thing that we have this podcast to talk about it. We'll see you next week.